coming to you from the Philadelphia area. This is the Westchester Church Podcast. Check us out at westchestercfc.com. Westchestercfc.com. You know, some messages are like open heart surgery for everybody involved. Other messages aren't quite as excruciating, and this is the kind of message that I have for us here this morning. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 28. John the Apostle writes to a group of Christians, And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I mean, this was a generation that had lived with the constant expectation that today Jesus is probably going to return. John the Apostle had been there in the upper room as Jesus had said to his his followers, his disciples, that I'm going to go away and prepare a place for you. And He's using using ancient wedding language, which which would have registered in their minds, okay, what Jesus means is that he's going to be, be away for for um, a few months, maybe for a year, but a year later he's going to come back and he's going to have this brand new place that he's prepared for us. And yet it's been about 40 or 50 years ever since John had heard Jesus say this, and so in his mind, in the minds of these Christians, it was okay, it's going to be all the sooner then. And so what John means as he uses the phrase, the last hour, or even a last hour in his epistles is that We need to live in a constant state of readiness because at any moment in time, Jesus is probably going to return for us. And when he returns, it is very incumbent upon his people that that he finds a people who is living in faith, that he finds a people living in confidence and faith upon the earth. And I love so much how the word that John uses to identify these believers in Jesus is children. You are children of God, children of Jesus Christ. And as we've seen in just about every message in this series about who we are, whether it is us as the sheep of God, us as the dust of the earth, us as these exiled foreigners, is that these names that have been given to us in the scriptures eliminates all human pride within us if we live this way. But rather, John says that as we we live, that we live as as the children of God, that that as we cry out to God in prayer and in song, we we are like little infants reaching our hands out of a crib for, for our Father. And that's because we are absolutely helpless and hopeless without our Father. And as we begin to grow in Christ and to learn more of His ways, we begin to actually look like Him and to imitate Him. I don't know if you've ever met a person who was the spitting image of their mother or of their father. Where you just look at them and say, 
it's like I'm going back in time and I'm looking at their, their um, parents. Now, a lot of people say that I look exactly as my father did at this age. Other people say that you got your, your um, a sensitive heart from, from your mom's side. A lot of other people have um, pointed out that I get my ornery snark and my mischief-making on the other side of the family, but we resemble our father and our mother in some way, though. We, we, whether we even understand it or not, I imagine even still to this day, we are still imitating our father's and our mother's examples. And yet, what does John say, though, in chapter 3 and verse 1? He says, what kind of love is this? Well, in the Gospels, we remember how Jesus had been at a dinner party, and he, he told a woman whose sins had been street knowledge to everyone in town that, that, daughter, your sins are forgiven. And people who were seated at the table said, what kind of man is this who even forgives sins? We're not used to a guy like this saying stuff like that. We also remember how Jesus is in a boat late one night and there, there is a storm. As the apostles are there in that boat and they, they are terrified that they're about to drown. But then Jesus wakes up and he, and he calms the whole entire storm with just a few words. And John and the other apostles are just looking at each other, just gobsmacked, saying... What kind of man is this? Who even the winds and the sea of nature obeys him as a child would. And now what is John saying to us in his epistle? John is once again marveling all these years later. What kind of love is this? What kind of a gospel is this? Where in the original Greek language, what the language implies is what kind of country is this? And I believe, in other words, what John is saying in living color is, love such as this can only come from elsewhere. This is a kind of love that is otherworldly, that is not of this realm, but now it is here, and it is in our souls, and it is in this earth. What kind of otherworldly love has the Father lavished upon us? And we just think about all of the many things that we have done that are just so unspeakable. Things that we would not want anybody else here to even know that we once upon a time had done. I imagine that if we were to try to remember our worst moments, we couldn't even count them all. There have been so many that we have had. Many years ago, there was a 16-year-old prostitute who was in a diner. She had a baby boy with her, and when she had given birth to him, originally his name was No Name Maddox. He didn't even have a name. And as the waitress comes, she says, what a beautiful baby boy. And in her drunken stupor, she just kind of looks up at the waitress and she says, if you bring me a pitcher of beer, he's all yours. You can keep him. <laughs> and the waitress laughed and she had thought it was a joke, okay. And so she brings her a pitcher of beer and she brings it over to the table. But 
She comes back a few minutes later and the mother's gone and the child is right there. She literally traded her son, named no name, for a pitcher of beer. And later on, we would know who that child's name would eventually become because his name was Charles Manson. I mean, that's who Charles Manson's identity was. That's who he was. That's what he was coming into this world. He was a no-name who was traded by his own mother for a drink of beer. And I'm not excusing what he went on to become and, and all the horrific, nightmarish, hellish things that he did in this world, but I am saying, isn't any wonder that a person like that would, would live to become that? Many years later, when he was in prison, he was asked by a reporter, Who are you? In other words, what is your identity? And with a very disturbing smile in his face, he says, I'm nobody. I'm nobody. He said it with this whisper. He said, I'm a tramp, I'm a bum, I'm a hobo. I'm a boxcar and a jug of wine. And I mean, before Jesus came into this world, especially for us Gentiles, in Scripture it says that that's who we once were apart from Jesus. We were strangers to the covenants of promise. We were separated from God, having no hope and without God in the world. That is who we were. We were nobody. We were nobody. And yet John says, what, what kind of love is this? that the Father has lavished upon us. And I want us to hear that word lavish because when God demonstrates His love for a broken, sinful humanity, He does not do it half-heartedly, does He? He doesn't do it angrily or begrudgingly like, oh, I guess I'll just have to love all of these people. But like the woman who was at a dinner party with Jesus that evening, when God wants to show and to demonstrate His love for a world of sinners like us, He brings the most expensive bottle of, of His perfume that He can find. He breaks the flask and he, and he dumps every last drop of it upon our souls. It may be true that you are a bunch of nobodies apart from me, but, but I will love you. I will take you in. I, I will go all the way to a cross and die six hours out of my love for you. And I will give you a second and a third and a four thousandth and fourth chance. And I will take you in as my own. You see, what this means is that we are so much more than what we imagine. We are orphans. We, we are orphans who have been adopted by the living God, into his family. And it's been my experience that it's all the people of this world who grew up being discarded and ostracized. It was the people who felt unloved and unnoticed and invisible in this world who have the fiercest sensitivity whenever the words, I love you, I need you, I care for you, are directed in, in their direction. 
Long ago, God went by the name of Yahweh and Jehovah, but now God is saying that I go by a different name. I want my people to call me Father. Romans chapter 8, what the Apostle Paul says is that God has given us the spirit of adoption by which we cry out. And then he uses the Aramaic word, Abba. Abba, Father. Yeah, it means Father, but more literally it means our Daddy. And when we use that, that word, Abba, Father, we take on the form of His little children seated on His lap in His arms. It's the word that Jesus uses as He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, scared to death. He knows all of the hells of Golgotha that await Him, and He says, Abba, Father, remove this cup. Daddy, remove this cup from Me. And yet, as a little child would, He he submits to the will of his father and says, Abba, Father, Daddy, I, I will nonetheless go to the cross now. Eleven years ago, a man and I were at a dog pound in Marshall, Texas. I don't know if you've ever been to a dog pound, but dog pounds tend to be the very saddest of places. Because you just see all of these unwanted dogs that nobody wants, you know. All of these half-breeds and triple-breeds. and I think we all know what happens ultimately to a lot of unwanted dogs that nobody wants. And so we go inside and we see this sad little dog lying all by herself in a corner. Out in a field by a fence. We don't even know what kind of breed she is. She's an absolute mutt. She's a black lassie who has a golden face, you know, white tail. She's not a fancy designer breed at all, but we were told that she had been there for weeks and no one wanted her. <laughs> and yet a man that took one look at this dog and says, that one right there. I want that dog right there. And so we brought her home and her name is Mika. And on a daily basis, I just love the thought that a dog who was destined to die in a worm-infested shelter now spends the rest of her life in a warm house, lying in a warm bed, never going to sleep hungry. And of course, you know me, I'm going to spoil her rotten. I give her steak. I give her chicken at the dinner table. I buy her all of the squeaky toys that she wants, you know. I bring her drinking water to her as she lies in our bed on a daily basis because I just love our dog so much. And yet I imagine how much more incredible a thought it is for presidents who have dogs. Where you go from being just another dog in a kennel who is filthy and disgusting and now you belong to the President of the United States and you're living in the White House and you're sitting in the Oval Office. That's quite a change in identity, isn't it? And yet this is exactly what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 9. 2 Samuel chapter 9, King Saul has been killed in battle. And King David comes to power. Well, as we know, King Saul hated King David, tried to kill him. 
spent years of his life trying to assassinate David before he ever became the king. Now we need to understand that this was a time in history when it was very routine in the ancient world where if you were a king and you had a, a fierce enemy who was a predecessor of yours, as you came into power, you would search and kill for all of relatives of his. And it would be kind of like the end of The Godfather as Michael Corleone wipes out all of the heads of the five families, that kind of thing. Well, Saul has a surviving relative, and he has a grandson whose name is Mephibosheth. Well, Mephibosheth is crippled in both of his feet. Guy can't even walk. He's living out in the middle of nowhere in a desert called Lodabar, which means in, in the Hebrew language, a place of no... no um, of um, pasture. And yet if you're Mephibosheth, just imagine what is going through your mind as all of a sudden you see the king's royal chariots pull up out in front of your house. And the king's messenger comes out and he knocks on the door and he says that the king wants to see Mephibosheth right now. King David is looking for you, so, so let's go. And so they go to the king's palace. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 9, Mephibosheth comes into the presence and he faces the brand new king of Israel, the one who his grandfather tried to kill. Falls flat on his face. A very uncomfortable position for a person who is handicapped to be in. And yet he's terrified. I know that Mephibosheth is terrified because the very first words out of King David's mouth it's the salutation of the angels to humanity. Where he says, Do not fear. I come in peace. You have no need to fear. Listen, what I want to let you know is that everything that belonged to your grandfather Saul, all of his money, all of his possession, all of his servants, you name it, all of it is being transferred over to you right now. In our language, what he's saying is that you, you are a millionaire now, Mephibosheth. Everybody who had worked for your grandfather Saul now is working for you, and you're going to eat the very best of foods you will never want again for the remainder of your life. But then it says in 2 Samuel 9 that, that for the rest of your life, he says you will be seated at the king's table as one of his very own sons. You're going to be seated at his table as his son for the rest of your life. And I love so much Mephibosheth's response, 2 Samuel 9 and verse 8, where it says that Mephibosheth paid homage to the king and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog like me? Well, in the ancient world, dogs were not quite as, as beloved as they are in our culture. Dogs were, were, were universally seen as the filthiest, most disgusting of creatures. And yet I believe what Mephibosheth is saying in so many other words is, what otherworldly love even is this? That the king of Israel would have regard in such lavish generosity for a crippled dead dog like me. If you're, 
If you're Mephibosheth, that is who you are. That is what you are. You, you are no longer a dead dog. You're no longer crippled, but, but you are a crippled who now is the son of the king. And this is one of my favorite chapters of Scripture because just, just imagine what it looked like as Mephibosheth is seated at the table of the king as his son. You have King David sitting at the very head of the table, and I mean, he looks like the king of Israel, right? You have his sons and his daughters seated there, and, and each one of them looks like kings and queens in their own right, and they're, they're wearing royal garments and apparel. And yet then, either he is, he is carried inside by, by messengers, or he's got these crutches. He's just slowly limping inside their one slow, sluggish foot at a time. It takes him like three minutes just to get inside the room and, and to sit down. Looks entirely out of place, but, but he is now the son of the king. As even Mephibosheth slides his broken, lame legs under the table of the king's kindness. And you know, there's two ways that we can read Scripture. We can either read Scripture in the poor way and only read it as nothing but purely religious history. Or we can read the text and to see Jesus in it. And to understand that every single thing that we read in the Word of God is pointing the way to a far greater King Jesus. As the Apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth, that, that if we read the Scriptures without the lens of Jesus, we've got a veil over our eyes and we can't even understand what we're reading. And yet when we read it through the lens of Jesus, that veil is lifted and now we can see in living color in the Scriptures. And that's because, once again, the the story that we're reading about is not so much about these other people, but, but this story is about Jesus. And this is our story. You see, the gracious King of Israel really is the gracious King Jesus. And the kindness of King David is now the gospel of, of good news, peace of Jesus Christ. And that's because you and I are Mephibosheth. Where for ages, only people who had Hebrew blood could be called the sons and the daughters of the Most High. In fact, it's interesting how non-Jewish Gentile people in New Testament Scripture are routinely referred to as, wait for it, as dogs. As filthy, disgusting dogs who are not the children of God because they're, they're not Jewish. And yet I've got some good news for us here this morning. In Ephesians chapter 2, and starting in verse 4, what the Apostle Paul says to the church at Ephesus as well as to you and I is this. Ephesians 2 and verse 4. But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him, and then hear this part especially. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, 
So that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So now what this means is just like John and just like like Mephibosheth, you and I stand next to them and we say, and we marvel at the cross and we say, what otherworldly love is this? That he has lavished upon us. I had a bunch of dead dogs. Might be called the sons and the daughters. And might be seated at the table of the king's kingdom. And you know it's the reason why every time that we eat the bread and drink the cup at the table of the Lord. I never have dry eyes as I do this. Because I I always remember Mephibosheth seated at the table of the king's kindness and now here we are seated at the table of Jesus Christ that the same God who looked at Jesus at his baptism saying this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased now is saying this is Claude this is David this is Jerry this is Bob this is my son this is Tracy my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. Albert Barnes says, when we remember how insignificant we are as creatures, and how ungrateful, rebellious, and vile we have been as sinners, we may be well amazed at the love which would adopt us into the holy family of God, where we are treated as children of the Most High God. So as we bring this series and this message to a close this morning, we have seen that the church is a hospital. We've seen how the church is an art gallery full of of sculptures and paintings that we are as Christ molds us into his image. And yet what we see this morning also is that we, we as the church is also an orphanage. The church is a pound where where he sets a bunch of rescue dogs free. So as we go into the days ahead, I just want us to remember God's name, I am. Moses is standing at the burning bush and says, what if people ask me what your name is? What do I even call a God like you? God replies, you just tell them I am has sent you. What kind of God am I? I am God to begin with. So my very name is I am God. In the Gospels, especially in the Gospel of John, Jesus reveals his I am's. As he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and so on and so forth. And yet what we really need to embrace, though, is the fact that we also have our own I am. And that is, is that I am a sheep in the arms of the good shepherds. Is that I am a living gospel in the holy house of God. That I am the aroma of Christ and the salt and the light of this world. I am God's treasured masterpiece. I am dust. I am a foreigner exile in this world. And yet most of all, what manner of love is this? 
that the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called children, sons, daughters of the Most High God. As ferociously as our deceiver and adversary works to convince us that we are not, we've got to believe. We've got to embrace the reality that this is what we are. We are the children of God who He has adopted. So my brothers and sisters, let us continue in Him. Let us remain in His Word. Let us never stop until He has returned or we go on from this life because very soon He's going to return. And when He comes, May he find faith and confidence in his gospel upon the face of this earth.